We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 4, and we've been talking through uh, these temptations that Jesus are going through. Last week we talked only about this first temptation. There's three of them. Um, And this week we're talking about the second temptation, so we're going to be on verses 5 through 7. Uh, building off of what happened last week. So last week, as a quick recap, we talked about uh, this material temptation that Jesus was facing. Uh, After fasting for 40 days, turn these stones into bread. And how it showed the very humanity of Jesus and how Jesus was someone who could relate to the struggles, the earthly struggles that we faced. And and just all of the blessings that that means that we have a Savior, we have a God who knows how it feels to be hungry, who knows how it feels to be starving, and who knows how it feels to be physically tempted with the same exact temptations that we face and yet overcame it and and that we can connect to him in that way. And now this week we're talking about a very different set of temptations and I think that those are spiritual temptations. And now I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about that phrase spiritual temptations. For me it's it's very kind of uh, good versus evil, angels versus demons type things that first come to my mind. Um, and, and this has been something that's been really uh, clear close to me most of my life. Uh, I, I didn't really ever get over the being afraid of horror movies phase. I've never really liked that. I've never really uh, enjoyed, you know, getting lost in a book about scary stuff or, or watching the, the, the gore or the demons or the stuff on the TV screen. Like, I just, I physically can't handle it. It sticks with me. I have nightmares. I, I've become scared of the dark as a 30-year-old man. It's, it's embarrassing, okay? I just don't like that stuff. I can't handle it. And, and I remember pretty Pretty clearly, um, uh, uh, several years ago, it was about five years ago when I was still living in St. Louis, and it was around Halloween time, and uh, I got caught up watching one of them, and it was a very spiritual one, and uh, my job at the time was as a chaplain at a hospital. This was a really, really old hospital in downtown St. Louis, and it had one of these towers that goes up uh, 15 floors, and, and the office for chaplains happens to be in the, in the deep, dark corner of the 15th floor of this tower. Okay, so I just gotten done watching one of these scary movies and I have the overnight shift um, up all by myself on the 15th floor of this old tower that has like the old peaks that look like castles and I'm just telling you like I set myself up for failure right here because it's dark all the lights get shut off except for kind of the emergency lights so patients can sleep and I'm just sitting there (laughs) I'm sitting there literally on a couch in kind of the fetal position praying and ever since I was a kid, I've had this, I've had this belief, and a misguided belief, by the way, that if I just put the Bible kind of in the middle of the room, that this kind of shield emanates from it, and all the bad guys and all the scary stuff can't get me. And so, so I did that. I had, I had my Bible out, open up uh, to the middle, because then on each side it was kind of equal, so the shield would go out on equal ways on each side. And I just sat there right in the middle, just looking around, being scared of of whatever noise or whatever creepy thing creeps in the dark. And I think that that's an extreme that we go to when it comes to spiritual things. The extreme is to make too much of them, to get too scared of them, to get too in-depth with it. And and I see this more and more, actually, in our culture today. Uh, uh, The other extreme is to completely ignore it, pretend it's not going on, um, and, and, and to 
to just believe that we are we're modern scientific Americans and we've been in that phase for a long time but I see us shifting in the other way I see fewer and fewer people kind of ignoring um, the spiritual stuff and instead going the opposite direction and just diving too far into it and we play with Ouija boards and, and we try and contact angels and we look for our loved ones smiling down on us and we try and communicate with them or pray to them or, or do these things that just aren't scriptural. And so I think that there's a middle ground here when it comes to spiritual temptations. And I think when we look through uh, Matthew chapter 4 here, I think we find a, a whole different set of spiritual temptations that are actually way more powerful and way more sinister than most of us face, and yet we deal with them on a constant basis. And so for that, open up with me to Matthew 4, starting at verse uh, 5. It says, uh, Then the devil took him, the him here is Jesus, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. So this is a, a, a huge spiritual temptation that just comes to Jesus. And, and what is the spiritual temptation at the beginning? If you are, who? The Son of God. If you are the Son of God, basically prove it. Prove it by doing what? And, and, and here's the crazy thing. Satan right here quotes Scripture. Satan quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus and he says, look, hey, Scripture says this, so prove it. Prove that you're the Son of God. Do this thing. And, and what this tells us about spiritual temptations is, is that it's the misuse of God's Word. The misuse of God's Word. The misuse of, of following Jesus. The misuse of Christianity is one of the greatest spiritual temptations that we face that none of us are aware of on, on a regular basis. We're just not aware of, of how we are constantly tempted not, not to just run away from Jesus, but tempted to take the things of Jesus and twist them in a way that seems right, but is actually totally wrong. And, and let me give you an example of this, okay? Uh, this has been happening from the beginning. This is Genesis 3 right here. Uh, and Genesis 3 is this great creation uh, and fall narrative. If you grew up in the church, you probably know this. You saw the pictures of, uh, of Adam and Eve, and they're always kind of uh, in the right positions to cover all the things that you don't want to see. Um, and, and then there's the snake that comes, and, and the snake tempts them. And, and, uh, and he tempts them in Genesis 3, saying, uh, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Satan quotes Jesus here. But man, if you really know Scripture and you look back, what God actually said in Genesis 2 was, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see how he just kind of takes a, just a little bit of a twist. Did God say you can't eat any tree? Why would God want to hold you back? Why would he want to hold you back from, from fun, from pleasure, from fulfillment? And just putting that little tiny seed of doubt based on God's word uh, twists them. And of course, they end up falling into sin. Man, we want to be like God. We want to see what he's holding out on us about. And this is the exact same thing that Satan does to Jesus. 
Psalm 91, 11, and 12 actually says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. It's interesting that Satan doesn't quote that part. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Satan's temptation is to take a verse that's meant for protection, a verse that's meant for assurance, a verse that's meant for the confidence of God who takes care of his people and who loves them and who will make sure that his chosen one, the Messiah, uh, gets to the point he's supposed to get to. And he takes that and he says, no, this is a verse of, of proving yourself. This isn't a verse of protection. This is a verse of prove it. This is a verse of, of testing God. And so he says, hey, if you are the Son of God, then the Scripture. Throw yourself down. Prove it. Prove it to everyone around. And, and, and the Scripture doesn't say this, but man, you can almost like imagine Satan giving a vision of just the crowds all around the temple. Just looking and watching and waiting to see. And Satan giving them this temptation. Prove that this is really true. Prove it. Throw yourself down. Uh, and Scripture says you'll be okay. Scripture says it won't be a big deal. Scripture says... He'll protect you. But Jesus' response is powerful. Jesus' response is to call people back to the Word. To call Satan back to the Word. And this is something that we don't often do. And this is a huge problem. We are in a, a, a time that is one of the most scripturally illiterate. Meaning we don't know the Bible. We don't know what it says. We don't know what it's all about. We know a select few quotes and those get us through life. But the problem is those select few quotes we often always uh, use in the wrong ways or we'll twist it or we'll make mistakes with it. And let me show you how easy it is to do this and I'm sure some of you guys have done this in the past too. Look at Proverbs 15.6. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. If you are a good person and you do the right things, God will bless you financially. And you're sitting here and maybe you think that sounds stupid, but I will tell you that people make millions and millions of dollars saying that exact same thing. If you were sitting at home today turning on the TV, many of the people who are preaching at you from the TV would be saying that thing and always following it up with five easy payments or, or send in your check or send in your letter. But my question would be, what about all the places in Scripture that talk about God's people suffering? Or God being near to the poor? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, God, God makes metaphors out of people who are poor and people who are hungry and people who are thirsty being near to Him, being close to Him. Or what about this next one? 2 Thessalonians 3.10 for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Oh, I've been waiting for a verse like this to back up my, my conservative politics and my republicanism. Yes, finally. God helps those who help themselves. I can't tell you how many people think that that verse is actually a verse from Scripture. They'll quote that. I've heard people quote that to me. God helps those who help themselves. Don't hear me bashing on you if you're a Republican. That's not what I'm trying to do. Don't hear me bashing on conservatism or, or, or any of that stuff. But, but what this is saying 
is that to simply take a verse like that and therefore say, hey, God helps those who help themselves. If you want to be blessed by God, if you want God to help you, if you want God to answer your prayers, well, you better pull yourself up from your bootstraps and start working on it. And that feels good for, for Americans. That feels good, especially from that kind of uh, Dust Bowl depression era. Like, if you want it, you better go and get it. Or it feels good for those of us who are, who are just sick and tired of a welfare society and we just want to say, man, pick yourself up and do something. And, and look at this verse of Scripture to back me up. But man, what about all those places where God says, take care of, of the alien? What about the year of Jubilee and restoring to the poor uh, their land and, and, and their wealth and all of that stuff? Like, if we take the whole narrative of Scripture, it's so much deeper and so much bigger than just one verse like that. And lest you think we're done, we are not done. Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I can't tell you how many people have come to me in fear and trembling because they read that verse, and for so long they've just depended on the cross of Jesus Christ to save them. And now they're sitting here thinking, what do I have to do to work out my salvation? What does that mean? And all of a sudden, Jesus takes a back seat to the stuff that I'm supposed to do. But man, that's not scriptural. At least not fully. Because what about it's by grace that you have been saved? Through faith, and this is not of your own works. All of a sudden, this gives us a much bigger picture, and we have to do the hard work of actually thinking what God is trying to tell us. And that means we have to actually dig into the Bible or dig into the background and spend time in it. And so many of us don't do that. And I don't mean to, to make this a guilt trip, but, but I hope that you feel a little bit in your heart, man, I need to know Scripture better. Or man, how have I been manipulated over time by people who will quote one verse at me and then all of a sudden I think that they're right and they're true even though I'm missing so much more. I bet you've heard this one, Matthew 7.1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. How dare you call out my sin? Bible says don't judge. How dare you speak to this moral issue or this societal flaw because we're not supposed to judge people. But Scripture also talks about walking with people. Scripture also talks about rebuking people. Scripture also talks about calling out sin in the lives of of believers. Matthew 18, there's a whole chapter in there that's talking about Christian conflict when a brother falls into sin, how do you restore him? And, and man, there's a lot of calling out that happens there. And so how do we understand don't judge in light of Christians are called to call out the sin in each other's lives and restore them? Man, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking I need to read my Bible more. Because the temptations to take verses like this, twist it, and go in completely opposite directions are too strong. And this, people, this is what the enemy wants to do. Okay? He knows it's too difficult to just completely block God out of your life. But man, if he can take these little pieces of Scripture, these little truths, these little understandings, and just twist it a little bit so you become a little less loving, a little less charitable, a little less kind, a little bit more free and careless about your brother and sister who might be walking into a bad place, then, then he's successful. 
He's successful in dividing. He's successful in creating chasms. This is what he wants to do. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Sounds awesome. And we've heard this verse all the time. But man, you can use this verse also to justify if you follow God well and live a happy life, if you follow God well, you will live a happy life. And you will be materially blessed. And then when someone loses their job, spiritually, I feel like God's not blessing them. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever gone through a hard moment in life and felt like, God, why are you just on my back? We take life circumstances and we assume that we are getting punished for the wrong that we've done in life. Well, I must not be seeking his righteousness enough. I must not be seeking his kingdom enough because if I do, then I'm going to live the good life. And I just think, man, if you could, if you could take our understanding of this verse and, and preach this to New Testament Christians, they would look at you like you're crazy because they're being hanged, they're being crucified, they're being flogged, they're being beaten, they're being flayed, they're being tortured for their faith. And yet they would quote this verse to us. And then finally, and this is my favorite one to quote, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is what our football teams quote before they march out on the field because God is clearly calling our team to win. Or when we're, when we're going through something difficult, I can do all things. I can do all things. God wants me to do anything. God wants me to succeed. He's my vending machine God who if I just, uh, if I just call on him, he's going to help me to succeed. God is my, my buddy who's sitting next to me cheering me on in my life that's about me. That is not what this verse is about. And I think it's so powerful that, that Paul, the author who wrote this, wrote it from prison. Okay, he wasn't writing this ready to march out onto the football field. He wasn't writing this as he's uh, 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 selling this great book deal. Okay, he's suffering. And in his suffering and in his persecution, he says he can do all things. Well, what are the all things? Man, I, I don't know about you, but when I hear this, I feel like I need to know Scripture better. And I hope you're hearing a theme as we've gone through this. I hope you're hearing a theme, and, and that theme is this. It is the full knowledge of the Word of God that is key for your protection from spiritual temptation. Because I promise you that the way Satan is going to tempt us, especially us 21st century kind of uh, suburban Americans, man, it's not so much through the spiritual uh, attacks, though those are there. Okay? And it's not so much through that totally ignore God, although that is there too. But I guarantee you, and this is a promise, the way that he wants to attack you, especially you who are sitting here on a Sunday morning hearing the word of God, is that if he can grab any part of that and twist it just a little bit to cause you to drift from his truth and to cause you to drift uh, from, from the truth of the brothers and sisters who are here and our uh, shared belief, man, he's going to do that. He's going to take words and twist them. He's going to take God's word and attempt to twist it. And, and I just wonder where he's doing that in your lives. Is it, is it related to wealth? Is it related to, to blessings? Is it related to work? Is it related uh, to, to relationships? 
I think all of us have been tempted in this way. And so the answer isn't, well, I guess I should just kind of pray harder. I mean, that's helpful, but the, the answer is know his word. Know his word so that like Jesus, who was uh, confronted and tempted with these spiritual twists of God's scripture, he says, hey, uh, scripture also says don't put God to the test. So maybe you should know your Bible, Satan. That's how we should be acting. No, satanic voice that's coming at me. And sometimes this comes from the people we love most that Satan is twisting and then quoting this scripture to us. And that's hard. Sometimes this comes from books that we read. Sometimes this comes from, from sermons we hear. And I hope you're doing this from me right now, listening. Is this the word of God that's coming out of these lips right now? And if it's not, come up to me after and give me a talking to. I want that. But know this fully. And I love, the, I love this imagery here when it comes to spiritual warfare. And Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's saying, man, all those material temptations that we talked about last week, the stuff that we really struggled through, Compared to this, it's nothing. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. And then he lists off all these metaphors for the armor of God, but I want you to hear this one in particular. The sword of the Spirit. Okay? Not just to go on the defensive, but to go on the offensive against the errors and the temptations spiritually that Satan will throw at you is the Word of God. That is your sword. That is your biggest weapon. And it means knowing it. It means learning it. And it means sacrificing time and energy to digging in. And so go, if you don't have one, go and buy a big old study Bible, one that has the notes. If you don't know what you should buy, come talk to me. I will personally go to the store with you and we'll pick out one together. I'd love to spend my time doing that. And read this and know this and be prepared. Be prepared for the ways that, that Satan wants to twist this word. But man, when he does that, you know it. I love being able to know it and say, that's not right. What about this? And the ways that people light up. This is, this is actually a way that you can share your faith, by the way. Okay? It's not just saying, hey, if you were to die tomorrow, do you know where you would go? So you should pray this prayer. <laughs> no. In the context of a conversation, man, the more we know the word, the more we can share the word. And, and here's, the, here's the key. Christians believe that the word is powerful. Christians believe that the word actually does something. And, and we say it in a way like this. It's alive and it's active. It's not a dead book. Every other religion has a dead book, by the way. But we have a, a word. We have a God who is alive and living and active and speaking to us through this. Okay, this isn't just events that happened thousands of years. This is stuff that speaks into our life right now. And Hebrews 4.12 says, This word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. This sword, this sword, God's word, is sharper than anything else you'll find. 
It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit. It reaches the spiritual places within us. That's why this is a, a powerful defense and offense against spiritual temptation is his word gets down deep into there. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. God's word can change the ways that you have been uh, falling to spiritual temptations. It can speak into it and it is powerful to be victorious over it. I didn't know if I, I, I wanted to share this story, but I want to just end with, uh, with this. Uh, when I was little, um, my brother and I uh, were in the car uh, with, with my dad, and he was uh, driving. He just told us, get in the car, we're going. And he said it in kind of a stern way, and it was a weekend. We were kind of, it was sort of rainy. We were being uh, angry with each other. We were fighting at all this stuff that was super stressing him out. Now that I'm a parent, I understand how he felt. He was, he was just at his wit's end. He said, get in the car now. So we got in, and he's just driving, and he looks super stern. <laughs> he looks super angry. Uh, I can just see the look on his face right now. Uh, and, and we're like, Dad, where, where are you going? And he's like, I'm taking you to the orphanage. And I'm about, like, I would say I'm probably eight at this time, which means my brother, uh, who was in the car, was about four. <laughs> and, and I'm taking you to the orphanage. And just all of the sudden, uh, wailing comes from the back. My brother is just crying. Just <laughs> crying. And I'm like, Dave, no, Dave, don't worry. He's not taking us to the orphanage. He loves us. He feeds us. He takes care of us. He does all this other stuff, okay? Like, uh, my dad had, 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 he is the spiritual tempter in this story, right? So he has twisted us with this false word that he's taking us to the orphanage. And, and, and David just hears this and just starts crying, okay? And, and my response was, no, think about who dad is, right? He's our dad. He loves us. He takes care of us. He's not going to do this. He's not going to hurt us. And, and, and I'm saying this over and over again. And, and, and the whimpering kind of uh, stops a little bit. And David's okay as he's heard kind of the other side of it. This is, this is what our call is as Christians. People who are, who are crying because they have been beat up or burnt out by twisted words that aren't true. Some of it comes from false ideas of Scripture. Some of it comes from false ideas that this world throws at us. We've got a lot of people who are crying out right now, needing the truth. Needing the truth that we don't have a God who's angry at us, who's judging us, who wants to see us fail and fall. We have a God who loves us. And where He actually took us, by the way. Uh, uh, it was a place called Leaps and Bounds. Uh, this place that had tubes and, and, and balls and nets and all these fun places to climb through. And it was a place that we had always asked him to bring us. And, and he never did. And, and today, as he was at his wit's end with us, and, and he, he pretended he was taking us to the orphanage, he pulls up, and here we are, leaps and bounds. And we look, and we're like, wow, this is amazing. This is so cool. And we walk in, and we have the best time ever. Our call... Our call is to go out into a world that thinks that they're headed to the orphanage and to show them the leaps and the bounds of God's amazing and incredible love for us. And I tell you, the more you read this, the more you immerse yourself in this, the more you'll find it and the more you'll experience it. Let's pray.
Oh God, our loving and gracious Father, I pray uh, that you would help us uh, to hear these words and to soak them in, uh, but not just to take them at face value. God, I pray that we do the hard work now. I pray that we uh, organize and sacrifice our lives in such a way that we would know you better than anyone else, that we would know your word stronger than anyone else. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us the opportunity to be faced with these spiritual temptations, but also, Lord, I pray that we would be strong enough to overcome strong enough in your word uh, uh, to, to reframe, to requote, to, to bring the truth of who you are into the lives of so many people who need you. God, I pray for all of us here. I pray for those of us who have been uh, lied to, who have been fed a false gospel. I pray for those of us who have just been beat up and burnt out by religion. I pray, Lord, that we would see you as our loving Father. I pray that we would see past the lies, that we would see past the hurts, and that we would see you, God, a God who loves us and desires us, and a holy God who is calling us to a life of so much more. Lord, we need your help. We need your help to draw closer to you, and so I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would grab our hearts and not let go, but draw us in. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your holy name.